Good evening, folks. This is your host, Terry Farley in Dallas, Texas. Now calling to each one of you from the eye of the storm. The eye is at the very center of a hurricane. Regardless of how powerful the hurricane, the eye at the center is calm. God's word leads us to the eye, for the Lord encourages each of us to be still and know that he is God. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Thank you each and every one very much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate it. Good evening again, folks, and welcome once more, and especially each one of you, my new listeners, to this session of From the Eye of the Storm. Tonight, we continue our heading to our port of call, Calm Harbor, centered in the eye of the storm. First off, a course correction from last Sunday's evening sale. I misquoted the location of the passage of a verse and want everyone to understand why the correction is so necessary. The corrected address, as we used to call them in Bible school, is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. And I quote, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, the correct address is Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, the New International Version, UK. The marvelous beginning, above all, renders the why of the demand for perfect elevation to the importance of quoting Scripture properly from all aspects. That correction provides the perfect segue into uh, this evening's course, a contemplation of the very Word of God itself. A group of fledgling Bible school students were overheard to be complaining about an entrance exam, which included the challenge to identify by book, chapter, and verse over 300 scriptural quotations. An example would be such as, Who said up? One applicant fumed that the very reason he had enrolled in Bible school was to learn these things. It was then suggested that perhaps the test was actually crafted not to find out what a person knows, but to help everyone taking the test to understand how much more there is always yet to learn. Our point of departure into Bible study this evening embarks us into the consideration of the modern format of Scripture, the structure of chapter and verse. Attribution to the numbering of chapter and verse declarations begin with a handful of scholars dating back to the Byzantine era, roughly in the 5th century. Modern sources at attribute a handful of various scholars as early as the 13th century, submitting chapter breaks for the Bible's books. Stephen Langton divided the Bible into chapters in the year 1227 AD. A professor at the University of Paris, Langton was later elevated to Archbishop of Canterbury. Rabbi Nathan divided the Tanakh, the Old Testament, into verses in 1338, the Common Era. Bible verse enumerations were added in the 16th century by French printer Robert Stephanus, 
translated Stephen's for his Greek New Testament. It was published in 1551 AD. Stephen's then added chapter breaks and verse divisions in his Latin Vulgate publication in 1555 AD. The first English New Testament to have both chapter and verse divisions was the Geneva Bible, published in 1560 AD. These salient academic points are included to aid in Bible study, as has been encouraged by scholars to remind the student that as well-meaning as translators have been through the centuries, that it is often insightful to read the ending of one chapter in connection with the next following chapter to gain proper and often deeper understanding of the message being convoked conveyed. Because the breaks in thought are not always completed, leaving revelations unfinished from one chapter to the next. An excellent example of this are the last two verses of the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 37 and 38. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Had the conversation ended there, it might have been too crushing a revelation for Peter to absorb without harm. But Jesus continues this conversation in the very next chapter, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, intimating the so-called most preposterous prophecy in all of Scripture, popularly known today as the rapture. Chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John chapter 14, verse 1 and 3 Jesus immediately comforts Peter after revealing Peter was going to deny knowledge of Jesus in the next few hours, with a promise of the future blessings awaiting him, and parenthetically all who believe in Jesus, and couched within these promises the extraordinary continuing unfolding revelation of our repiamor, our rapture. Returning to the initial point we began with, connecting these two moments, separated unintentionally by the translators, provides us with a more cohesive and comforting replay of these final moments of the Last Supper. And continuing scholarship through the centuries has brought the Word of God forward to our present day, with the availability of the Word of God now being estimated at roughly 2,000-plus translations that are available for study in various forms and languages throughout the world. A second example of problematic, intricate passages can easily, easily be textualized, even within chapters, as we discover by turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, focusing in particular on verses 2 and 3. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. 
How do these new followers of Jesus know about the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night? Because Paul has already told them about Jesus' reveal in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 32, as the Lord relates the parable of the fig tree. Jesus has already forewarned his listeners of the great tribulation, greater than any trial that shall ever be, and we emphasize ever, following which Jesus then inserts the parable of the fig tree with the promise that some shall be delivered from this time, while others will be left to suffer through it. In a season when the fig tree is blossoming, all seeming well, even peaceful and safe, some shall be taken from the Greek word paralambano, meaning unto promotion, while those not taken experiencing their houses having been burgled by a thief. Fortunately, Jesus simplifies the question and purpose of the Bible in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus emphasizes in this proclamation himself by declaring he, Jesus, is the only way to God the Father. Helpfully, Jesus clarifies that he, Jesus, is the truth. There is no greater truth, and all lesser truth leads to him. Jesus capsulizes the first two declarations in his third statement, that he, Jesus, is the life. There is no other avenue of life eternal except through Jesus, who is the Christ, the Hamashiach. Jesus expands the message of the word gospel, which can be translated good news, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The foundation for all meaning rests in the first phrase, for God so loved the world. We each shall have storms in life, but we can, each and every one of us, rest and sail on because we know God loves us. God's love is proven by his gift of his son, Jesus, to die for the sins of the whole world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation simply means appeasement. God is satisfied with Jesus' death on the cross as sufficient payment for the sins of the whole world throughout history. Astounding, Nispa. Our sins, yours and mine, have been paid for and thus forgiven by Jesus' death on the cross. Yes, all of them. Those yesterday, today, and those forever in this life. The only caveat is that each of us must receive this gift from God individually by our own personal repentance and acceptance of Jesus' forgiveness. It must be noted here that repentance, confession of one's sins, is simply agreeing with God that we have in fact committed sin against him and his word. It must be sincere, of course. 
as godly sorrow works repentance. Returning to 1 John, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as Jesus Christ is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We confess our sins, he is faithful and just. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And notice that he said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins, the truth is we don't know the half of it. Forgive us our debts, our sins, as we forgive our debtors, those who sin against us. This is part of the prayer Jesus taught the disciples in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, during his Sermon on the Mount, and is key as a daily prayer of repentance. When we first come to Jesus, we repent, and then the spiritual war really begins. We do not practice sin, but we nonetheless are imperfect and fall to sin. Continuing to repent daily and hourly if need be, as God continues to forgive, cleanse, and lead us on. The short answer being begged is the question, how often and how long does this repenting take? That answer is given in Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 and 22. Jesus answered this question, which Peter had framed. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Matthew chapter 18. Verses 21 and 22. Paul clarifies, concluding with the daily walk of the Christian. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt, grows corrupt. Listen to that. According, it doesn't stop until you're dead to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Ephesians chapter 4, 
verses 20 through 27. Our walk is daily. And what happens if we get caught in sin? We turn immediately to Hebrews 12, verses 6 through 8, for understanding. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Unfortunately, there are those individuals and cults which teach self-abasement or self-flagellation, believing that they can scourge themselves of sin or punish themselves when they have fallen or failed. God does not relinquish his place of authority to anyone, nor does he need help from any to do his chastising. Yes, when you have repented and returned to Jesus, he will, as the good shepherd, lead you with the rod for correction and the staff for protection. Psalm 23. Thus, uniquely, Jesus of Nazareth is rightly proclaimed as the Savior of the world, fully God and fully man. And remember, Jesus instructed, take no thought for tomorrow. Therefore, do not worry, saying, well, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Once again, we are reminded to keep our focus on today. And we are continually encouraged to be anticipating daily in each day that we walk that Jesus is preparing to take us, all believers, each and every one, from this present evil age. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Another reason to take each day one day at a time, praying always, as Paul instructed, encouraging each of us to be singing psalms and hymns. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Especially note who we are singing to, present tense, right now, to the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, making melody in your heart to the Lord. One of the most amazing testimonies in recent years was that of the world-famous actor and aficionado of biplanes, race cars, and motorcycles. He drove a Porsche 917 for the filming of Le Mans and rode at the famed motorcycle race in Monclova, Ohio, in the film on any Sunday.
coming to Jesus in his latter days. Steve McQueen. In a tape recording as Steve approached his death, he regret he regretted not having more for my Lord. Not having, I'm sorry, not having done more for my Lord. His exact words, as I have quoted them, he said, my Lord, speaking of Jesus. This is an important distinction since other religions call the one they follow Lord also. Thus McQueen's stunning statement to the world, and as himself, a world celebrity. In a brief meeting with Billy Graham shortly before McQueen died, McQueen cheered up the great evangelist, who was just returning worn out from a spate of Far East crusades, testifying that he himself, McQueen, had been running away all his life. And having turned to Jesus, he felt like he was now turned back around and he was walking home. As Paul has opened Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verses 1 through 7, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication in all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. All of the teachings in the New Testament deal with the day in which you are right now. Whether this is Sunday evening or Thursday morning or Saturday afternoon, you are listening right now, wherever you are. The Lord is calling you, speaking to you in your place, even as he is speaking to you from the last chapter of the Bible with his final message to you personally and yet also to all of the entire world. And I quote, he, Jesus, who testifies to these things, says, surely I am coming quickly. Revelation 22, 20, as he, Jesus, one final time, knowing this shall be the last and final message he will leave to believers and yes, to the world, commands total attention with prophetical force and certainty by employing the distinctive imperative, surely. Psalm 138.2 exposes the internal significance of the choice of this word, surely, by revealing from his own word that God himself sets his word above his name. And I quote, I will worship toward you, toward your holy temple, and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. Psalm 138.2. This startling declaration gains even more emphatic, eternal, divine credibility when matched with John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As Jesus one last time emphasizes, he is coming to deliver his bride, and he is coming on the day that must be called today, an hour that we shall not be thinking, 
In recognition of this unknown rapiamore, our rapture, our deliverance from this present age, this present evil age, our blessed hope, we look forward to next week's sail as we plunge deeper into the aspect of the Christian daily walk in view of the prophesied imminent atomic shout of Jesus for his bride. Amen and amen. And for your own personal continued study, for spiritual strengthening and encouragement as we see the day approaching, you may wish to avail yourself of a copy of Blast Off Repeal More Edition 5, my chronological study of our blessed hope containing over 1,350 plus verses, assuring ourselves of the scriptural foundation of this astounding prophecy that will touch the entire earth, referencing 25 plus Bibles, that we all may witness to the world beforehand of his promise of hope, activating our own daily anticipation and becoming fully alive to Jesus' shout right now, we continue to witness the converging events which God himself is revealing to this lost and dying world as we occupy until Jesus shouts. Again, for more scripture, comforting, and strength, you can Google T.L. Farley books. And the Lord willing, until we meet again, brothers and sisters, fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, uncles, aunts, cousins, and new friends especially, and you strangers that may be out there that Jesus is seeking even now, we pray for all a very good harvest. Maranatha. And that's the wrap for this evening, folks. May we all join together in prayer that each of us has a good night. And the Lord willing, until we meet next time, or until Jesus shouts, and we meet in the air or at supper. Here's bidding you all, each and every one, the very best Jesus has to offer you. From the eye of the storm, this is your host, Terry Farley, bidding you a good evening.